Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Fill us with your spirit. We have been blessed in song. We pray you would bless us now with your word. And may it take root in the heart of some soul who needs you this night, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I wanted to turn the air conditioner on in order that all of you might stay awake. You know, there are a few people that have a tendency to go to sleep in church. I don't know if any of you have ever been guilty of that. I'm sure none of you ever, ever have did that. But I tell you, there's one group of people that have a bad habit of going to sleep in church. You know who they are? They're the deacons. And I wanted to keep the deacons awake. I knew of a deacon one time. This tr- truly happened to me when I was preach, uh, pastor of a church, just going to the church, and I called upon him to pray to close the service, and nothing happened. I'd already bowed my head, and I looked up, and his wife was just a punching him for all get out to get him to wake up, and then she was a whispering to him what I wanted him to do. Well, I made up my mind after that that I was going to make sure the guy was awake before I ever called on him to pray. Didn't want that to happen. Preacher one time had a, a deacon who habitually went to sleep, such as that fellow did, and he got tired of him sleeping in every sermon, and so he decided he would teach him a lesson. So he said to the congregation when he discovered the deacon was asleep, and you know you can control a group with your voice, and they'll do pretty well if you're good at it, what, what uh, you want them to do. And so he said very, very quietly, all those of you who want to go to heaven, stand up. And everybody stood up but old sleeping deacon. They were very quiet by the indication of the preacher. And he said, thank you. And they sat down real easy. And then he said, everybody who wants to go to hell, stand up. The sleeping deacon jumped to his feet. He looked all around, and he was the only guy standing, except for the preacher. And he looked up at the preacher and said, Preacher, I don't know what we're voting on it, but you and me are the only ones for it. (laughs) Well, that's the end of the joke. The rest of it's got to be serious, because we're talking about something very serious. And the question that we really need to ask and every person really needs to answer in their own mind and heart is where are you going to spend eternity? You see, life has a beginning as far as man is concerned. When you were conceived, you became a person in God's eyes. And I believe that life begins at conception. I believe that's what the scripture would teach. I do not believe that life begins at birth. It's already, the light is already there at conception. A person has been created. But that life never ceases to exist. Never. That life will be somewhere for all eternity. The question is, where will that life be? 
We only are here on earth a few short years, and the scripture indicates somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 years, and if you get over 70, you're probably on some borrowed time, and some of you are on borrowed time, and I'm hoping that those of you who are on borrowed time have this question already settled. But the rest of us that may not have reached that magic figure of 70 still need to consider it because there's many a young person Many a teenager, many a young adult that goes out of this life by some accident or some tragedy that happens and the life is gone. The time to make a decision as to where you spend eternity is only now. It will not be beyond the grave. There is no point of reconsidering and deciding what one is or is not going to do for eternity. Jesus Christ came and offered his life on the cross of Calvary and made it possible for us to be saved, but he offered it for us now and not for us after we have died. And if you can believe anything about the Bible, then we're going to have to believe that the Bible is very affirmative in its teaching about two alternate places. One we call heaven, and the other is called hell. And a person will spend his eternity in one of those two places. And there is no middle ground. Do you believe that there is a hell? If you took a survey of people in this world today, we would discover that numbers of people think that hell is a figment of someone's imagination. But listen, the scripture teaches the, the subject of hell as strong as it teaches any possible subject. I believe the scripture teaches the theory of opposites. Now listen to this. The scripture teaches that everything has its opposite. If I would say, tell me the opposite of white, you would immediately say black. If I were to ask you the opposite of dark, you would immediately say light. Everything has its opposite. If I ask you what is the opposite of old, you'll say new. If I ask you the opposite of big, you'll say little. If I ask you the opposite of heaven, you've got to say something because there is an opposite. And that opposite in the scripture is hell. The scripture says, every man shall go to his own place. At least that indicates there's got to be more than one place. The body dies, but the soul continues somewhere. The question is, where would your soul be in eternity? Now to those of us who are Christian, we look upon God as a merciful God and a loving God. Well, listen, if you're not a Christian, he'll never be that to you. You'll be looking and dealing with the God of judgment, the God of justice, who requires a blood sacrifice for the remission of sin. If you don't want to accept the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that's your decision. But let me tell you, sin requires death for God to forgive it. And it's the, it's the 
death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary that he provided once and for all as the sacrifice to cover everybody's sin. You see in the Old Testament you could bring a lamb today and offer it as a sacrifice. If you were serious about what you were doing, God would see the condition of your heart and that you brought the sacrifice and the blood was spilled and he would forgive your sin. But tomorrow you're going to have to do it all over again the next time you sin. And over and over and over until finally God said, I hate and I despise your sacrifices. I will not smell in that assembly anymore. I'll provide one sacrifice for all people for all time. And that sacrifice had to be perfect to be acceptable to God. The only sacrifice he could find, anything that was perfect enough, was his own son. And he gave his son to die on the cross in order that men's sin could be forgiven and their eternity would be heaven, not hell. But it will be a God of judgment that will judge. And that's why we read Revelation 20, 11 through 15, that every man someday will stand before the judgment seat of God. They will stand in heaven and give an account of their life. And the big question that will be asked is, what did you do with my son? Did you receive him or did you reject him? And the lost are going to say, I did not accept him. I reject him. And he will have to say, depart from me into everlasting fire. Now let's look at some things about hell. Hell is described throughout the scripture as a place of torment. Let me read you just a few phrases out of context of the verse. I'll grant you, but nevertheless, it gets the point. Hell is described as the fire that shall never be quenched. It is described as a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It is described as a worm that dieth not, a fire that is not quenched, everlasting punishment, eternal damnation. Those are just a few of the phrases that describe this place that God has said is the abode of those who are lost. I've had people come to me and say, well, now look, I may go to hell, but I'll guarantee you I'm going to have plenty of company. Now, somehow or other, that statement is supposed to bring comfort to the person stating it. You see, we can find some comfort in, in, in each other's misery. If you've got the same problem I have, we can discuss it and share it, and it makes both of us feel better that we're not alone. But listen, go back to the theory of opposites. If heaven is a place where people commune and fellowship and love each other, hell is a place of total separation, not only from God, but from everybody. I believe hell is an absolute isolation cell in which nobody will have contact with anybody forever. One of the tragedies of solitary confinement in jails is that which takes place in the mind and the heart of the, pers uh, the person who is in solitary confinement because he craves and needs contact with somebody. And he will be deranged after a period of time if he isn't very careful because he has not had that contact. Hell is described as outer darkness. Heaven is light. Hell is dark. 
and it will be absolute isolation for eternity by oneself and never the opportunity, at least is the way I interpret the scripture, of having chance to commune with other sufferers. So don't think that you're going to have plenty of company because I think you're going to be alone. If I'm going to be with my friends and loved ones and my Savior in heaven, the person who is in hell has got to be alone. There will not be even afforded them the company of sharing suffering with somebody else. Now, secondly, hell is a place that was not prepared for man. Did you know that? God does not want man to go to hell. He prepared it for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41, if you want to look that up. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But the scripture says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Thirdly, let me suggest to you that hell is everlasting. We've already used that word this evening. We seem to be un incapable to be totally incapable of understanding what everlasting means. I can't explain everlasting to you. I can say it will never end. But that doesn't mean anything much to me because everything I have known has ended. I can't understand that God has always been. But I have to believe that. My mind will not conceive that thought. It's not big enough. If I could conceive of the beginning of God and the everlastingness of God, I, I certainly would be a lot smarter than I am. I think God is not going to, to, uh, to let me understand that in this world. I'm going to have to wait till I get beyond. But the scripture indicates that those who are lost go into an everlasting hell. There's no way out of it. No way out. The decision is made now. And to say no to Jesus Christ is to put the stamp of your own approval upon your own sentence against the will of God. Let me suggest a few people who are going to be in hell. I think we'll find Cain there. You'll, somebody will find Cain there. I'm not going to. Amen. I think I won't find him in heaven, therefore he's going to be in hell because there's no place else. Because he was a type individual who believed that he could serve God and just doing any old thing he wanted to do. He did not believe that a blood sacrifice was necessary for God to forgive his sins. So he reached into his cornfield and he put on the altar some corn or some wheat or whatever else it was. And he expected God to take what he wanted to give instead of understanding that God required a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And when God accepted his brother Abel's uh, sacrifice, when he brought a, a lamb and offered it and, would, and rejected Cain, it made Cain angry and he killed his brother and hid his body in the ground because he was jealous of God giving his brother recognition and not himself. But that's, that the, the murder of his brother is not the reason that Cain's going to be in hell. 
The reason Cain will be in hell is because he is the type of person who thought that he could get into heaven his own way. His own way. There are lots of people who believe that they can escape hell and gain heaven by joining the church. There are going to be, I, I'm sure, that there will be people, none of you, of course, but there will be people who have sat in this church building over the years who will be in hell when they thought they were going to be in heaven because they joined the Olive Branch Missionary Baptist Church. That's insignificant. It makes no difference what church you belong to. It makes a difference whether you've come under the shed blood of Jesus Christ. They're going people who will be in heaven who have been baptized. There are going to be lots of people who have been baptized in heaven. Baptism does not save. That water is nothing more than a pool of water and a person can be lying through his teeth when he says, I've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and he's got his fingers crossed because he knows he's lying because he thinks that the water is going to do something to his soul. All the water does is get the body wet. It's an affirmation of one's faith as to what has taken place in the heart. You've got to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not with water. If Jesus Christ has saved your soul, it will be done before you get into the baptistry and we're going to have our baptismal service on, on Easter Sunday morning. I hope this whole crowd will be here. We're going to expect a record attendance on Easter Sunday for that, that service. There are lots of others who believe that you can be good and moral and nice and kind and all those things and that'll get you into heaven. But Jesus Christ said, except you repent, you'll also likewise perish. And where do the perished go? They go to hell. When the body dies, the soul leaves it. Unless you don't believe you have a soul. When my body dies, my soul's going to leave it. The real me is going to go somewhere. I'm going up. Where are you going? You're going to go somewhere. The scripture says that I must needs go home for the way of the cross. So the way of the cross leads home. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. Well, let's quickly jump to somebody else. Let's consider Pilate. You know Pilate's going to be in hell? As far as we know. You see, they brought Jesus before the Pilate on that eventful day. And they wanted Pilate, who was the Roman ruler and was the only one who could pass the, death of sent, uh, the sentence of death upon a person, they wanted Pilate to, to order the execution of this imposter, Jesus Christ. He examined Jesus, questioning, listened to uh, all sides of the issue as any good judge would do. And when he was done, he said, I find no fault in this man. But they kept insisting, we want him crucified because he's blasphemed our God. The Son of God blaspheming the name of God? A little bit ridiculous, isn't it? 
The church was saying, we want him crucified. We want him crucified. And if you don't crucify him, we're going to go to Rome and we're going to make all kinds of political trouble for you. We'll get you removed from your appointed position. Pilate didn't want to face the issue. So he ordered a bowl of water brought and he publicly, right there in front of everybody, washed his hands in the water. And he said, I washed my hands of the whole issue. You do with him as you want. A person who washes their hands of Jesus Christ and refuses to make the decision in their heart they know is right has condemned them their own self to hell. That's all there is to it. You've written your own sentence. Pilate washed himself into hell by refusing to do that which he knew was right. I think Judas would be in hell. <laughs> too much doubt about that scripture pretty well affirms that and here he was one of the followers of Christ one of the twelve you can be in church every Sunday you can follow what appears on the outside to be the perfect Christian life but unless your heart has been converted you will be as lost as the worst sinner upon earth don't expect your attendance here tonight to guarantee you salvation and if you're here in the morning, and I hope you are, don't expect tomorrow morning as, as an assurance of salvation. It is a personal relationship that you must take with Jesus Christ. What did you do with him? Not to what did Pilate do, but what did you do? The rich man and Lazarus. Now I'm hurrying to try to get a point or two before we quit. The rich man saw Lazarus lay outside his gate day after day after day and he refused to have anything to do with this poor beggar out there covered up with sores. The dogs had uh, more sympathy for Lazarus than did the rich man, Dives, and they licked his sores. Sometimes we repulse at that, but those dogs were being nice to that man. They were bringing relief to him. They both died. The rich man was in hell. Lazarus was over in paradise there in Abraham's bosom enjoying the blessings he got rid of his sores he no longer covered with boils he didn't have on filthy rags anymore he was clean and pure and acceptable and lovely and the rich man had gone around in his fine clothing all of these years suddenly discovered himself in torment and he begged Abraham, he said, send Lazarus, see, he knew him by name, send Lazarus down here and just let him put his finger in water to touch my lips because I'm burning up. And Abraham said, no, no, it's not possible. You see, there's a gulf fixed between us. Nobody can cross over in either direction. Can't do it. Then his thoughts were, well, if you can't come to me, look, I've got brothers at home. Send Lazarus back. Let him go back to life and go back to earth. And there go to my brethren and tell him, please don't come to this place of torment. Listen, there are more people preaching the gospel in hell tonight than has ever set foot on this earth as far as preachers are concerned because they have now experienced it and they're begging that nobody else come. Are you going to listen to those preachers who have experienced it firsthand and can't get out? 
Paul stood before Agrippa, King Agrippa, to give his testimony, and he was in chains. Both his feet and his arms were chained, and Agrippa gave him an opportunity to defend himself. But Paul didn't defend himself. Paul preached a sermon. And when it was over, Agrippa said, you have almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Listen, I've heard that statement over and over and over. There are lots of people who are almost persuaded to become a Christian. But there's something in the way. Listen, Agrippa is in hell because he was almost saved. But he would never yield. There was something standing in the way. I don't know what it was in his way. I, probably his position. I don't know what might be in your way, but whatever is standing in your way will be your death warrant to hell unless you're willing to put it aside and step forward on faith and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I accept Him as my Savior. I repent of my sins. I ask Him to save my soul. Salvation, as I said last night, salvation is what God does. It's not what we do. Do you want to be saved? then you've got to do it. Say yes to Jesus. You could almost condemn yourself to hell. With this, let me close. General William Booth, director of the Salvation Army years ago, sent one of his little Salvation Army girls to visit the home. The home was the residence of a young teenage boy that was on his deathbed. The mother and the father did not believe in Jesus Christ. They repulsed any efforts to bring the gospel to their home. And as the young girl started to knock on the front door to visit that home, she heard the father say to the son, Hold on, son, hold on. And the son replied, But I have nothing to hold on to. Do you have a hold of something solid tonight? Do you have something to hold on to? Or are you slipping into hell and your fingers are beginning to sweat and you're about to lose your grip on whatever that little insignificant thing is that you're holding on to and it's going to let you go and you're going to go to hell because you don't have any solid foundation to build your life upon. That foundation is Jesus Christ. You can have Him tonight. You ought to receive Him tonight as your Savior. Those of us who are Christian believe this with all our heart. Do we not? Those of you who are not Christian can receive it with your heart if you will. Don't be almost persuaded and let yourself slip into hell. But let yourself be fully and completely persuaded and put aside whatever it might be, whether you know what it is or whether you don't know what it is. And as we sing the invitation hymn, get out of your seat and come forward and by that statement of faith, Say, I am asking God to forgive my sins and I am receiving His Son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior and my Lord. And you'll have something to hold on to. <clears throat> Will you do it tonight? Don't let family or friends or, or problems or questions about what's right and what's wrong stand in your way. Just stand on only one thing. You know that eternity is forever and it only has two places and opposite ends.
You are going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. And it's your decision to make. If you want to go to heaven, receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It will give you a good life now, but it will give you something for the future or eternity. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.